Well, a cardia. Good morning, Gia Deepsha. It's Jerry Adams. Another week. Janta. Ogin. Augustastola Gomsa. Gwil Shibsha. Gomai. You know, for centuries, the twin goals of the emigrant Irish in North America were to build a new future for their families in Antillian Ur, the New World, and to free their native land from the centuries of colonization and occupation. George Washington spoke of this after he secured the independence of the American colonies from England. Mr. Washington praised the role of the Irish in helping to achieve that goal. In the language of his day, he said, When our friendless standards were first unfurled, who were the strangers who first mustered around our staff? And when it reeled in the light, who more brilliantly sustained it than Aaron's generous sons? May the God of heaven, in his justice and mercy, grant thee more prosperous fortunes, and in his own time, cause the sun of freedom to shed its benign radiance on the Emerald Isle. In more recent years, Irish America played a standout role in opposing sectarian discrimination through the McBride Principles campaign and in challenging British miscarriages of justice. Irish America stood with the hunger strikers. It was key to building the peace and has steadfastly defended the Good Friday Agreement. Evidence of this was on display in Washington during the visit last week of British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. President Joe Biden and his administration, as well as congressional leaders, were forthright in their support for the Irish Protocol and the Good Friday Agreement. While sitting beside Johnson at a press conference in the White House, President Biden told the media that neither he nor, he added, would many of my Republican colleagues like to see a change in the Irish Accords, the end result having a closed border in Ireland. Many other US leaders were equally resolute in their rejection of any suggestion that there could be a US-British trade deal if the Good Friday Agreement was threatened. A few days earlier, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, had warned the British that there could be no trade deal if there's destruction of the Good Friday Accords. Congress member Richie Neal, who's chair of the House Committee on Ways and Means, met Boris Johnson and said afterwards that any agreement reached between the UK and the EU on the future of the protocol must not undermine the integrity of the Good Friday Agreement nor threaten the institutions it created. Some in the British media realised quite quickly that things were not going Johnson's way. The London Times highlighted one of its reports on the meeting between the two leaders. Keep your hands to yourself, Irish Joe Biden tells Boris Johnson. However, it was one of Johnson's cabinet ministers, George Eustace, who with a typical arrogance and a patronising tone, dismissed President Biden's comments on the grounds that the protocol is very complicated and consequently, I'm sure he, that is President Biden, does not fully appreciate all of that. And he added, President Clinton is pro- President Biden is probably 
at the moment just reading the headlines, reading what the EU is saying, reading what Ireland might be saying, which is that they would like the Northern Ireland Protocol to work in the way the EU envisage. I slipped of a tongue there with uh, Bill Clinton's name instead of Joe Biden's, but the same thing happened 20 years ago. And the same uh, spokespersons, or at least the same quarters, and the contemporary spokespersons were speaking and spouting the same nonsense. The insulting nonsense from a senior Conservative minister ignores the real offender in the Brexit debacle. According to Michel Barnier in his just-published book, My Secret Brexit Diary, A Glorious Illusion, although it's hardly a secret given that he's published it, he says that the British government was ill-prepared for the Brexit negotiations, that it adopted a nonchalant approach to the talks, and according to Monsieur Barnier, the British government knew exactly what it was doing when it signed up to a border in the Irish Sea. It also understood that it could not claim there would be no control on goods between Britain and the North. And that was before London went on to claim exactly that. Brexit has been a disaster. While the protocol protects jobs and business, food supplies and fuel deliveries in the North, in Britain, there's a shortage of CO2, the pubs are running short of beer, long lines of bagels queue for fuel, and there's a scarcity of foreign labour and agriculture and a shortage of lorry drivers. Into this chaotic farce steps the DUP leader, Geoffrey Donaldson. He wrote to Nancy Pelosi, warning her that the protocol is the altar upon which the Belfast Agreement is being sacrificed. According to Mr Donaldson, it is the actions of the EU that are endangering the Good Friday Agreement and risk taking Northern Ireland backwards. Of course, he disregards his own role and that of his party in promoting Brexit and then supporting the Conservatives in power as they negotiated the withdrawal agreement. The reality is that Jeffrey's deliberate ramping up of the rhetoric that threatens the Good Friday Agreement and its institutions has little to do with the protocol or Brexit. His real agenda is clear from an interview in the Belfast Telegraph last weekend. He wants a unionist pact to stop Sinn Féin. He wants the DUP to be the largest party and for him to be the first minister. Unionism, he said, cannot afford for the vote to be fragmented and Sinn Féin come through the middle to emerge as the largest party. So a Sinn Féin minister, a first minister, must be stopped at all costs. None of this will come as a surprise to anyone with even a cursory understanding of the North. A hundred years ago, the Northern state was born in conflict and violence. It survived on sectarian abuse, injustice and discrimination. In every Westminster, Stormont, Parliament, Assembly and conventional action that has taken place since then, the overriding issue on the agenda was and remains the constitutional status of the North. That has not changed. What has changed is that for the first time, there is through the Good Friday Agreement a peaceful democratic means for the people of the island of Ireland to change 
the constitutional status to decide our own future. The unity referendum is the way forward and the Irish government has a duty and a responsibility to prefer that and not to be swayed by the no-surrender politics of Geoffrey Donaldson. Incidentally, his interview in last Saturday's Irish Times was much more interesting, but more of that next week. On October the 3rd, 1981, 40 years ago, the hunger strikes ended. That date was the culmination of almost a full year of hunger strikes, first in Long Cash in October 1980, then in Armagh Women's Prison in November 1980, and finally in the hit blocks of Long Cash, beginning on March the 1st, 1981. Ten men died. Bobby Sands, Francis Hughes, Raymond McCrash, Patsy O'Hara, Joe McDonnell, Martin Hurston, Kevin Lynch, Kieran Doherty, Thomas McElwee and Mickey Devine. There have been hunger strikes during the previous two decades. In the course of these, Michael Gahan died in June 1974 and Frank Stagg died in February 1976. As part of the commemoration of these events and as a celebration of the lives of the 12 who died on hunger strike, an Ishog has produced a series of beautifully designed cards. They are a remembrance that the Twelve were very ordinary men who, confronted by brutality and vindictiveness, behaved in an extraordinary way and give their lives for friends and comrades. The cards are available from an Ishog 55 Falls Road, www.thelarkstore.ie or phone 28 90 243371. Last Thursday, we also remembered our friend, our late friend, Bobby Story, when a portrait of Bobby by Tony Bell was unveiled in the Andersonstown Social Club. That club is a place he had a long association with. The following night, within COVID regulations, family, friends, and comrades again gathered in the club to reflect on Big Bob's life and times and his contribution to the struggle for freedom. Joe Austin chaired the event and I was there with Liz Maskey and Martin Lynch and we told yarns. We told yarns that Bobby himself had told about his experiences in and out of prison. And we did it as Bobby did himself with a smile on his face and a chuckle in his voice. And my contribution I reminded the audience of one memorable occasion in which Bobby introduced a new phrase into the Republican vocabulary. He was arrested in 2015, one of the hundreds of times he was scooped. There was a lot of publicity around it and he was released subsequently. And the PSNI Chief Constable George Hamilton had been asked about the IRA and he said that he thought Republicans were committed to peaceful means and that the IRA still existed. So when Bob got out, we decided to do a press conference. Martin McGuinness was there, Mary Lou was there, and I was there. And we decided to put Bob onto the press conference. He was chair, elected chair, of Sinn Féin's Northern Cougar structures at the time. 
So we, we did our usual prep before the press conference. Richard McCauley said to Bob, they're going to ask you, has the IRA gone away? And what you should say is, yes, they've left the stage. They're no longer in existence. And remember, Bob, Richard said, no matter how many times they ask you that question, you should say, yes, they've gone away. They're not about, they don't exist, and so on. Bob says, right, Archie, dead on. So we all sit down and the media assembles and right away a journalist says to Bob, the chief constable says the IRA hasn't gone away. And as this is happening, I'm watching Richard McCauley's face. So I went back and I cut out the press clipping, got the press clipping of this, and this is exactly what Bob said in response. He said that he agreed with the chief constable that Republicans were committed to peaceful means. But he differed from him because the chief constable said that the IRA is still around. It's gone, Bob said. I could see Richard smile at how clearly Bob was on message. And then Bob went on. The chief constable sees this in terms of the IRA as being a caterpillar that's still there. I think it's still away. I think it's moved on. It's become a butterfly. It's flown away. It's gone. It's disappeared. And no one in that press corps asked another question that day about the IRA. They had their memorable line for the day. And Richard McCauley smiled with the rest of us. So, Shane, memories of Bob. Well done, Tony Bell. The poetry is absolutely brilliant. And uh, love and best regards to Teresa and to the family. And we finish with this dedication for Teresa and in memory of Bob, Unknown Legend by Neil Young. Shinea Karja, Gunyiri, and Ta Lipsha Gulyar.
Now she's dressing two kids Looking for a magic kid She gets the far away look in her eye Somewhere on a desert Somewhere on a desert highway She rides a Harley Davidson Her long blonde hair flying in the wind She's been running half her life The chrome and steel she